Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collins, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 39 of the podcast. Today, we're talking about the second episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Far From Home. I really liked this episode, and may have enjoyed it more than last week's. The description on Memory Alpha reads, After the USS Discovery crash lands on a strange planet, the crew finds themselves racing against time to repair their ship. Meanwhile, Saru and Tilly embark on a perilous first contact mission in hopes of finding Burnham. It was written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lummis, and Alex Kurtzman, and it was directed by Oluntunde Osunsanmi, and it first aired on the 22nd of October 2020. Make it so. So last week, we saw what happened to Michael Burnham when she emerged from the wormhole in the 32nd century. Throughout the episode, she was searching for Discovery, but never found it. In this episode, we follow the crew of Discovery as they emerge from the wormhole. The journey has been pretty hard on them. They're all unconscious. Saru is the first to wake as the ship emerges from the wormhole and plunges towards a planet. So is this Terralesium? There are a whole lot of asteroids in orbit of this world. Discovery crashes through one, which is probably very unrealistic, but it looks cool. We get a very cool shot of the ship crashing onto the planet. We've had a couple of great crash sequences in Star Trek history. The Enterprise D on Viridian, Voyager on an icy world in the episode Timeless, and this. I think the Enterprise D is still my favourite, but still, this is an epic and visually stunning sequence. So, the ship is now crashed on the surface of a planet covered in ice. Doesn't look like she's going anywhere in a hurry. Most starships in the Star Trek universe were not designed to land and take off from a planetary surface. Voyager was rather unique in that it was equipped with landing struts. Even if Discovery is capable of landing, this was hardly a deliberate touchdown. Anyway, they're all very lucky to be alive, and it doesn't take long for them all to realise and appreciate it. It's all thanks to Lieutenant Detmer's skills, but she's not celebrating. She's definitely not herself. She's got a nasty head wound. Jet points out that Terralesium wasn't very icy. But of course, planets tend to be very diverse. Look at all the different climates on Earth. Saru gives a nice little speech. They're all very interested to know what's out there. Where are they? When are they? There's a whole universe out there to explore. And they're Starfleet officers. Their curiosity must be running at very high levels. But right now, the priority is to repair the ship. They are needed in here. They can figure out what's out there later. Saru has come a long way. He demonstrates multiple times throughout this episode what a great captain he's grown into. And yes, as the ship's first officer, he is next in line. So as far as I'm concerned, he's the captain. Until that time, if and when, the show tells me otherwise. We get a great sense of organised chaos as the crew scramble to work on the ship. 
the sparks and the extras running around the set give a great sense of activity. Tilly has determined that there are certain areas on this planet that have higher amounts of oxygen than the rest of the world. These appear to be manufactured settlements. We'll see one of them later. Saru takes from this that they are not on Terralysium, and that there is life out there. There is life in the universe. This moment is underplayed compared with Burnham's scream of relief in the last episode, but it was important for the crew of Discovery to have a similar moment. They've been successful in their mission to save all sentient life, and while they don't have much time for celebrating, it needs to be acknowledged and appreciated. It's a nice moment. And then Giorgio turns up. I found Tilly's line, you have some Leland on your boot, to be darkly amusing. But I really didn't need to see it. But wait, because there's more to come. Stamets is still in sickbay. I like the original series biobed sound. There's a very interesting effect they do. The room is empty and silent, apart from the alarm. When Kolber brings him out of the coma, suddenly the room is full of people and noise. It was very clever. I don't always like filmmaking tricks like that, but this one really worked for me. It's quite believable that there would be injured even worse than Stamets, and they'll need his biobed. Colbert wants to put him in a cellular regeneration chamber, though probably not the one invented by Professor Geiger in Deep Space Nine. But Stamets wants to get back to work and help with repairs. My wife is a nurse, and she was watching this with me. She said, Why do people on TV who are badly injured always want to get back to work when they can barely stand? It just doesn't happen that way. And I can well imagine. Certainly, if I was in Stamets' condition, the last thing I'd be thinking about is work. I mean, Stamets is a workaholic, but still. It's a common trope, and one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Anyway, Stamets and Kolber are very happy. They've finally got themselves figured out. I wasn't sure about bringing Kolber back in Season 2. It felt like it cheapened his death, which I thought was well played in Season 1. But they did it well. Not the actual resurrection, that bit was really weird. But after he was back, there were consequences, and it took the rest of the season for Kolber to come to terms with it all, and that was well done. So Detmer's head is kind of pounding, and the whole world seems a bit distant to her. But Dr. Pollard heals her wound with her dermal regenerator and tells her she's good to go. That's it? But she doesn't let on that she's still feeling really weird. I don't know what's going on with her, but I'm sure it'll come back to haunt everyone. Part of me wonders, is it something to do with her implant? I think Kolber notices something is off about her. So there's a translator which is part of the communication system. It's damaged beyond repair. They need to rebuild it, but they don't have the raw material. This isn't actually needed to get the ship off the ground, but without it they'll have no communication within the ship or without, and they won't be able to search for Burnham, so it's pretty important. Tilly has found a settlement, and scans indicate they have the material needed. She's also noticed the settlements have ships, but no dilithium. Hmm. Saru feels they should treat this like a prime directive situation and not reveal too much about themselves. I'm not sure I fully understand his point. He says they carry information that could be damaging to a society 
whether more or less advanced than they are. Perhaps he's referring to the sphere data, which Discovery still has. I don't know. There's some conflict between Saru and Giorgio. Saru is very much holding to Starfleet principles. Giorgio, as a former Terran Empress, is taking a more pragmatic approach. It's interesting. I mean, I tend to side with Saru. I like Saru's by-the-book approach. But Giorgio is right about one thing. They're in a completely unknown world, a potentially hostile world. Her approach may be needed to be considered at some point. In the very least, she's going to fit in quite well in this time period, from what we've learned so far from last week. I think there will be some interesting character dynamics between these two as the series progresses. And probably Burnham as well. It's going to be difficult for Giorgio to be subservient to Saru. I mean, to her, he's a delicacy. Saru and Tilly are going to the settlement. They'll need medical treatment to be able to breathe the natural atmosphere outside of the settlements. And then we go down to Stamets lab, where we see somebody scooping body parts that used to be Leland into a bucket. Honestly, I really didn't need to see this. It's pretty disgusting. I'm not sure why they felt the need. And honestly, it feels disrespectful for the human being that Leland was before his body was taken by control. I mean, this was a person once. I found this to be in bad taste. Stamets is back at work, even though it's clear he's in no condition to be working. So Jet takes him under her wing. There's some really fun interaction between these two in the episode. It reminds me how much I like Jet. She is so not your typical Starfleet officer. She's her own person. I mean, she'd probably rub me the wrong way in the real world, but I love watching her on screen. As Saru and Tilly exit the ship, it looks pretty chilly out there. Lots of ice. And there appear to be big rocks or icebergs floating in the sky. I'm not sure of the science behind that, but it looks really cool. At this point in the episode, I began to speculate as to whether this was the same planet that Michael landed on last week, because the countryside looks very similar. It's clear all of this was shot in Iceland, just like last week. This will basically be confirmed at the end of the episode, but I'm confused. Michael and Book had no problem breathing on this planet. So what's the go with that? Saru is being sweet to Tilly. He knows that she talks to calm herself, and he says, please, keep talking. She's not even sure why he brought her along, but he is. They're introducing themselves to the future, and Tilly is a wonderful first impression. To be honest, that really melted my heart. We learn that there is something special about this ice. It's not just frozen water. Nan calls it parasitic. Its rate of growth increases in the shade, so when the sun goes down, they're going to have a real problem. The ship could quickly become encased in the stuff. If that happens, they may never get the ship up off the ground again, repairs or no repairs. This is a cool sci-fi element that adds to the strangeness of this new world. We get a conversation between Nan and Giorgio about why each chose to come into the future with Burnham. Nan could have stayed on the Enterprise, where she was arguably meant to be. She says she stayed for Arium. 
This was her way of honouring Ariam's death. I'm not sure I understand the connection, but I appreciate and respect the heart behind it. Giorgio doesn't. Giorgio's reasons make a lot of sense. She didn't want to end up in a desk job running the bureaucracy of Section 31. She likes jumping from universe to universe. Our 23rd century was no home to her. It was clear from the beginning that she didn't fit in there, and never would. And while she didn't really know it at the time, we've already discussed how she's going to fit in very nicely here. And we get to see Linus again. Linus is cool. Giorgio has an interest I don't quite understand in his range of vision. The settlement is entered by way of transporter. Saru and Tilly find themselves in a Wild West saloon of sorts. There they meet Cal, a Corridonite, another classic Star Trek race. We didn't actually see one of them until Enterprise, where they had some dealings with the Andorians and Tellarites. But the TOS episode, Journey to Babel, was centred around negotiations to admit Corridon into the Federation. By the way, remember Cosmo from last week? I called him an ugly alien and said I didn't recognise his species. Turns out he was a Betelgeusen, a race that was briefly seen in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Anyway, they introduce themselves as officers of Starfleet. Cal believes them because he's already scanned their ship. And we get another classic Tilly line. My name lacks authority. Love it. Cal believes Saru and Tilly will help them. It's who they are. The bartender isn't convinced. Cal says this planet has never had a name, but they call it the Colony. But apparently these people are being terrorised by a bully named Zara. Tilly, being intelligent as she is, realises that dilithium will be valuable to these people. So she offers it as payment for their help repairing the transtator. Jet makes a compelling case to Stamets that he's not bringing his A-game and they need to get someone else to crawl around the Jeffreys tube. But he doesn't listen. He's being pretty stupid. Cal is repairing the transtator with a nanite-style technology. It looks similar to what we encountered last week. He refers to it as programmable matter. Tilly pretends to be familiar with it, but it's pretty obvious she's not. I'm getting a better idea of how things work in this time period. There are ships that can travel through space, but not many. Most people are stuck where they are. They rely on couriers like Cosmo, Book and Zara to bring things to them. Couriers are basically the ones that can travel through space. They get a small amount of dilithium to complete the job. This was all written and shot before COVID-19 hit, but it kind of reminds me of lockdown, which is basically over down here in Tasmania. Being stuck in one place, ordering stuff online, and having it delivered by intrepid couriers. Yeah, very familiar. Funny that. Anyway, Zara killed the last courier and is exploiting these people. And there's no federation to speak of to intervene. They might be taking the Wild West metaphor a little too far, as Zara walks in with spurs clanking on his boots to a very western-sounding music cue. But I don't know, I kind of like it. The actor playing Zara is well suited to this kind of role. He manages to be intimidating and scary while speaking in a calm, almost friendly voice. 
He's also scanned the discovery, but notes that there is no record of it in his files. So Starfleet has successfully classified the ship out of existence. I like the look of daggers that Tilly gives him when he calls her sweetheart. And he quickly pieces together that Saru and Tilly are time travellers, given their lack of up-to-date technology. And then that horrible moment. Zara kills Cal. I liked Cal. And it looks like a horrible way to go. The phaser of Kara's takes its time and kills him very slowly, as his torso burns and his blue blood comes out of every crease in his face. Horrific. Zara can see that Cal has been emboldened by the arrival of Starfleet officers. The guy is going to be harder to intimidate. I guess he figured an example needs to be made. And have you noticed that in this season we're getting a lot more beam phases rather than just bolts? I like that. Saru is trying to negotiate with this thug. It's clear at this point that Dilithium is the most prized resource around here, and Discovery has plenty of it. Of course, Zara would rather take what he wants than to bargain. And he has a big bargaining chip, the parasitic ice. It's slowly enveloping Discovery. If they don't do something soon, the ship will be overwhelmed by it and it'll never fly again. And the visuals they show of the ice growing before your eyes looks fantastic. I like it when Star Trek uses a force of nature like this as an antagonistic force. Zara is going to send Tilly out into the cold all alone to get the dilithium and bring it back, braving the ice. He tells her a story about his how he's seen it go down into someone's throat. It's pretty scary stuff. It sounds like he's sending her to her death. And then Giorgio shows up. They found her sniffing around the perimeter. But you have to assume she allowed herself to be captured. I mean, it's Giorgio. She says she's going to enjoy this new world, and I have no doubt about that. It's looking pretty bad for her as Zara repeatedly shoots her with the torture gun. But then, when she's ready to make her move, she goes all kung fu on them. It's a good action sequence. Even Saru gets in on the fun, and gets to use his new super kelpian spikes. But it's time for another moral debate between Giorgio and Saru. She points out that killing Zara would be a service to the galaxy, and she may be right. But Saru reminds her, this is not who we are. But Giorgio isn't really part of that we, is she? But the conversation is cut short by Tilly's realisation that daylight is gone. The ice is taking over Discovery. You can see it just springing up. It looks awesome. And the creaking of the metal, it's evocative of the terrible situation they're in. Kolber is rightfully annoyed when he finds that Stamets is in a Jeffries tube, but Stamets manages to get the circuit replaced. He says, thanks for nothing to Jet, and she replies, back at you, Bobcat. Hugh questions this nickname, to which she replies, I don't know, I'm on drugs. <laughs> I tell you, they give Jet the best lines. I'm glad to see that Giorgio is being allowed to show the ruthless nature she has. This is who she is. She's not pretending to play by Starfleet rules anymore. I think in season two, she got a little too easily assimilated with the good guys. This season is gonna let her show her teeth. But Saru isn't backing down. He's being stern with her. He's acting captain of the ship and she will stand down.
It's a wonderful interaction. And I want to see more of these two butting heads in the future. Zara threatens the bartender. Your children will suffocate slowly. And then it looks like he's going to let Zara free. But then he puts the gun down, allowing Tilly to smash a bottle over Zara's head, giving him back his sweetheart line. It's a great moment, because we thought that the bartender was going to betray our heroes. Cal always believed you were out there somewhere. He believed we were part of the Federation, no matter what. I get now why he wouldn't stop talking about you. I think Saru has convinced him. Saru will give them enough dilithium to help them get free of Zara's oppression, along with his ship. Saru gives Zara into the bartender's custody, and it looks like he's going to kill him for a minute. He doesn't directly. He lets him go free into the icy cold. He may never last the night. It's the same deal Zara offered Tilly. Despite the Star Wars-y dystopian setting, this episode was very much Star Trek, in the truest sense. It's dripping with Starfleet idealism and optimism. Saru and Tilly are given a personal transporter to get them safely back to Discovery. They're ready to try taking off. But the ship is so encased in ice. Still, there's a sense of determination as the music swells and the camera pans across the bridge. And then the camera hits Detmer and the music goes all haunting. We're reminded that something is not right with her. Something is not right at all. Despite her problems, whatever they are, she performs her job admirably. But it's still not enough. The ice fights back pretty hard. Again, it looks awesome. They can't break free. Starships are not designed to lift off like this. And then another ship arrives. Zara's more powerful friends? A tractor beam pulls them out of the ice. But is rescue at the hands of thugs going to be any better than staying in the ice? And that's when they are hailed by Michael Burnham. She's found them and rescued them. The looks on everyone's faces is priceless. Even Giorgio. It's a beautiful moment. Michael's hair is different. She reveals that she landed a year ago. She's been waiting here all this time. She seems to confirm this is the same planet where she landed. But that still doesn't explain the whole oxygen thing. Maybe they'll address that next week. Anyway, our characters have all been reunited now. Next week we'll get to see them together. It'll be quite the emotional reunion, I suspect. I have to say, Star Trek Discovery is off to a pretty strong start in Season 3 so far. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Next week's episode is called People of Earth. It sounds like our heroes are going to be investigating to see what has become of the Federation they remember from their time. Don't forget, my Jewel of the Stars books are available wherever ebooks are sold. You can also read the first book free on Wattpad, or get it in paperback. I plan to release book two in paperback soon as well. i just got to find the time. I've been really busy lately. I plan to publish book three before the end of the year, so look out for that. Well, have a great week, and I'll see you somewhere in Nerd Heaven.